This is a podcast about sound, how it impacts your life and the people who are creating the sound of the future. Welcome to Powered by Audio, supported by EPOS. Based on pioneering audio technology, EPOS strives to unleash human potential by perfecting audio experiences. Learn more at eposaudio.com. I'm Randy Zuckerberg. In this episode, we're using audio to tell stories about people who do just that, use audio to tell stories. And they're good at it. First up, the magic of sound effects with Rick Allen. Rick is an award-winning sound designer and Foley artist. You may have heard his work if you play Grand Theft Auto or watch HBO or on commercials for Coca-Cola and Nike. Rick also teaches at the Conservatory of Recording Arts and Sciences. Thanks for teaching us about sound effects today, Rick. It's great to have you. Brandy, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm actually really excited that you guys are interested in talking sound because it's a passion of mine. I mean, I've, I've loved it and lived it my whole life. So thanks for being interested in it. Well, thank you so much. It's such a passion of mine. I want to start at the beginning. I mentioned that you're a Foley artist. What is that for, for those who don't know? Foley is an interesting term that's used in the film industry for a sound effect that is so intricate and complicated that it actually needs to be performed to the video. A Foley artist is watching the action on the screen in a recording studio and recording that sound. For instance, uh, a good example is footsteps. It's amazing to think that probably about 90% or more of the sounds you hear in a TV episode or in a movie are not recorded at the time of the filming. It's all done after, which is why it's called post-production audio. What happens is when they replace the voices uh, from the production set, you also need to replace everything else that the microphone picked up, the footsteps, the the, the car door slams, everything like that needs to be re-recorded. And so a Foley artist is the person that actually gets to watch the screen and walk in the same cadence as the the actor, which is really funny because a lot of times you'll find that it's a, a really wonderful female actress performing on screen and the footsteps that you're hearing is actually a, a, an older, fat, hairy guy wearing high heel shoes. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, What's your favorite sound effect like that that you recorded as a Foley artist? I love punches. One of the most stress-relieving experience that I did with that was actually taking a bowling pin and a baseball bat and an unfrozen turkey and just just beating on this thing to get that Hollywood impact. Because one of the things that I think we we don't think about is that how much the sound adds to the drama of a performance of a, of a, a movie. And one of the things Hollywood does is if I were to get hit in a bar fight and the sound that it made was what you hear in most movie fistfights, I probably wouldn't be able to be talking to you now. <laughs> I'd probably have my jaw shattered. So it's amazing how, how we can use the sounds to go beyond realism into, into more, create more drama and storytelling with that. I'm so glad you mentioned that because my next question was around how Foley effects can really add emotion to a story. It's not something you really think about as a viewer, but I'd love your thoughts. When you're in a scene that is out in the middle of, of an open field and it's late at night and it's a horror film, 
just that subtle cricket sounds, it reaches an emotional part of our brain, or thunder, thunder rolling in the back, just way, way off in the distance. It's almost foreboding. We can use those sounds to either set up something and get you prepared for a moment in the film, or to emphasize. And uh, one of the terms that I, I think is appropriate is people in the industry use the term hyper-real sound effects, meaning beyond real, just something that even takes you in more into the moment, more into the drama. What's been a sound effect you've worked on that's been particularly challenging to capture? Although now I have the the image in my head of you like beating a turkey and that is now one of the best images that's in my head. <laughs> it takes me back to when I was a little kid sitting at the dinner table and my mom would say, stop making those noises. And, and I obviously never did. <laughs> but um, probably one of the most embarrassing ones was I was working on a, a, a social media game for a, a, a sub sandwich company. It was... Uh, a railroad car that the good guy was running between the old railroad cars. He was a cowboy and he was chasing the greasy food gang. And so I needed to have the sound of uh, Western boots on a wooden top of a boxcar. And it's about, it was a, probably about 100 degrees here in Arizona the day I had to do this recording. So I'm, I'm out in cargo shorts, white socks, and cowboy boots um, with microphones on this little wooden bridge running back and forth, suddenly realizing if anybody saw me doing this, you know, it's like it was one, that embarrassing moment where it's like, no, this is my job. <laughs> you know, it's like, I promise. I mean, it sounds like you also have to be very creative and imaginative and think, you know, what, what sounds like the sound that we we want to conjure up. The thing that I am always still to this day amazed at is that the things that make the sounds that we are so used to hearing in film and television are not necessarily the real deal. Gun rattle sounds. I always laugh about that because if you watch a TV show with uh, you know a cop drama type of thing, when they draw their guns, it makes a sound. And in the real world, you ask anybody that knows anything about weaponry, if your gun makes a rattling sound, you probably should put it down because it's probably broken. <laughs> but Hollywood has trained us to, because we use sound effects to, to draw attention and focus our attention on things. So I think over the years, we've started to put in, in the industry, put in these gun rattle sounds. But what we use to do that is, is amazing. I was talking to the, uh, the, the Foley editor for, um, for the TV show Atlanta. And she was telling me that for the gun rattle sounds on that t show, which is a very realistic drama, they use a three-hole paper punch and a can opener to make all their all their sounds. So those are the things that just, you know, it's even though I've been doing this for years, I love the fact that the experimentation um, and just trying trying new things, which makes me a terrible person to go to a garage sale or, or, or a thrift shop with because I'm that crazy guy walking around Home Depot going, you know, rattle, rattle, rattle and pushing things. And, and hopefully so far I've not been thrown out, but <laughs> you never know. It's really inspiring me as a mom. The next time that I'm tempted to, you know, tell my kids to stop banging on things or doing things, I'm not going to think, you know, wait, they could be an award-winning <laughs> sound artist like like Rick. I need, to, I need to nurture this. All right, Rick, I want to test your Foley skills and our own ears. So I would love if you would perform a few Foley effects and we could try to guess what they are. I would love to. Okay, let me, let me do the first one. See if you can figure out what I use to create this sound. Oh, that is definitely tires screeching, like a car skidding to a complete stop very quickly. That's exactly what we were trying to create. Now I'm going to make you just like expand your thought process and tell me, what do you think made that sound? Well, 
I know it's definitely not an actual tire. It's like some household object that's lying around. So I'm gonna I'm gonna guess that it's like a like a balloon, like the sound when you're like squeezing air out of a balloon. Oh, Randy, really good guess. Yeah, it's it, and that's actually kind of close. It's, it's a hot water bottle with a little bit of air in it and scooting along a piece of wood. So it vibrates and gets that squealy sound. Wow, that is amazing. Is that, like, did you invent that or is that a common thing that's like done across all car scenes? This industry is amazing, and, and the world of podcasts and, and the internet has is, is really expanded it. But up until recently, it was almost like a magician's secret where you had to know somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody, and they told you, hey, this might work. That was one I actually learned from another uh, sound effects person in Hollywood. That's awesome. Okay, here, let's do, let's do another one. Now I'm, now I'm excited. Let's listen to this one. This one is going to be a little quicker. Let's do that one more time. Oh my gosh. That was for a fight scene. That was actually bone breaking. That was somebody stepping on someone's arm and breaking their arm in a a scene. So obviously you did not break any actual bones in making that sound, so... That was actually a stalk of celery that had been frozen and then cracked in front of the microphone. That is wild. And again, is that that's another trade secret that's like widely known now in a fight scene? Yep. And in fact, a lot of terrible stabbing scenes are nothing but a head of cabbage being hacked by a a small paring knife. We've sacrificed a lot of vegetables in this industry. I don't know why, but (laughs) it's the safer way to do it. All right, let's take a listen to this one. Can you roll it again? All right, sounds to me like I'm going to need an umbrella today. It was a rainstorm. It was rain falling down on on the ground. Okay, and how how are you making that one? Because we don't like to get our microphones wet, so we probably didn't go out into a big rainstorm and record that. It was actually bacon frying. I wish that our listeners could see that my jaw is on the floor <laughs> right now. Wow. Yeah, it was it was it was bacon frying in a pan and sizzling. Yeah. This was so fun. It also really demonstrates theater of the mind. Audio can create such vivid pictures on the screen in our minds. It's so exciting. How did you even get into this industry in the first place? I came kind of the back door through the the um, radio and that sort of thing, and then got into recording sound effects over the years, and then got into the uh, the whole area of, of audio post production, which is film and television, and the evolution of what we're going through now with the, the the rise of podcasts and how important the the sound effects and that can be in a dramatic pod- podcast. It can it can make a average podcast a well performed drama become a masterpiece. Which is another reason why I love teaching at the the conservatory. Uh, of recording arts and sciences because I'm trying to pass a little bit of this along to the next crazy generation. (laughs) Absolutely. Rick, one of the things that I'm so blown away with when you showed me those effects is, um, you know, I spent so much of my time talking about technology and innovation and digital, but so many of these sounds seem to be created the old-fashioned way, like uh, hot water bottles and celery and cabbage and bacon. Why not do this digitally? You could and you can, and it has been done. My my whole career, I actually started in the synthesis side. I started with synthesizers and creating sounds because my in, in broadcast, my mission was to create sounds that got people's attention, that identified the radio station. For a long time, that was synthesis because that was sounds that our brains weren't used to because that was new. What is interesting now is I'm fascinated by the fact that with all the technology we have with audio recording, you can take organic sounds, manipulate them, and change them. But 
I'm a believer that somewhere in the back of our minds, we still recognize that organic base. So it gets our attention. We believe it more, even though it's manipulated. Uh, wrapping back to your question, too, as far as um, the sounds that get your attention in movies and that sort of thing, we are trying to recreate real things. So a lot of times that was something that I had to learn is to go out in the field and record record explosions without without losing fingers. I mean, that's another thing that, that it, you know, it's the big kid in me. You know, uh, I, I've grabbed two toilets that were put out for bulk trash, uh, you know, a couple of months ago, hoping no one would see me taking off with used toilets, but brought them back to the studio and, um, and, and just smashed them to bits. You're always listening um, to the world in a different way as a sound effects editor or, or a Foley artist, because you're, you're taking in the sound and saying, what could that be? What could I use that for? I love that. Rick, in our final moments together, Adweek Magazine and so many others have said that we've now entered a new golden age of audio. Does it feel like that to you? Does it feel like storytelling with audio is experiencing a bit of a renaissance right now? Let me take you back and, and tell a story here that might answer that question better than, than just a, a, a quick sentence. Back in the days of silent film, in the last century, it was one of the only times our society had the chance to choose between visuals and audio. The movie industry was silent. There were silent films. And the audience in the movie theaters was, they were losing seats in the theater. Yet radio was just starting to take off. In those days, radio was more uh, theatrical dramas, long-form programming like podcasts, that type of things. That audience was growing exponentially. The people were tuning into the radio. Their families would gather around the radio and watch and listen to these programs. So when, when we had one of the few times in our society where we had the chance to choose between visuals with no audio or audio with no visuals, people hands down chose audio. And I think we're just rediscovering that. It's easier to do a good job of that, which is a two-edged sword. People expect really good audio in our podcasts and our, in our audio presentations, um, but it's easier to do. So yes, it is a golden age because people have time to put in headphones and listen while you're doing something. You can multitask with audio. So it, it really expands the ability for us to reach each other. And I love that answer because it, in some ways it is, it, we are coming full circle with, with radio plays and, and audio effects and everything coming back in. And there's something so deeply intimate and connecting about audio. So Rick Allen, thank you for sharing your experience and expertise. I had a great time. Thank you for your enthusiasm for audio. I'm going to think of you now every time I see a fight scene or a tire squealing. Well, Randy, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Once upon a time, movies were silent. But eventually, as Rick explained, they needed audio to complete the picture. From the first talkies to today, audio has advanced to become a critical component in movies. Sound design sets the stage, builds tension, tells who the good guys and bad guys are. And audio can even reveal twists and turns in the plotline. With us today is Pascal Garneau, sound designer with Skywalker Sound, working on some of Hollywood's biggest projects like The Mandalorian, Jurassic World, The Lion King, Toy Story 3, just to name a few. Welcome, Pascal. What a thrill to have you on the show today. Thanks for having me, Randy. I appreciate it. We were just speaking with Rick Allen about being a Foley artist. I got a whole education on what that means and sound effects. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the role of sound design in film and TV. I love Foley artists. I have a huge admiration for what they do. One fascinating thing about Foley is that they, you get down to the micro level where you're doing these miniature little cues where you're doing like one little glass set down or footsteps 
Whereas uh, in sound design, you kind of have to put a different hat on for a minute and uh, look at the whole picture and, and take a more holistic approach to it and think about what is the filmmaker trying to say with this story? What is the filmmaker trying to say with this scene? What is the filmmaker trying to say with this shot? It's looking beyond the scene that's in front of you to try and create sort of an overall aesthetic for the sound in a way that helps to tell the story. I love learning about this. Uh, it's really exciting. All right, so let's say, for example, we're watching a car chase up on the screen or we're in a restaurant. How much of the sound in those scenes is recorded on set or how much of it is added in later? Most of it is added in later. On location, they're doing their very best to capture the the performance of the actor to get, to get their dialogue. And in the case of animation, it's 100% dialogue is recorded. They're recorded over storyboards. It's essentially a radio play is what they start with. And then it's up to us to add the entire soundtrack. So I'm curious, I mean, going back to kind of the, a car chase example, you feel a lot of emotion. Like you feel stress, you feel the drama. What is the role of sound design in creating the mood and the emotion for the viewer? Cars are one of the most challenging things in sound design. I think after uh, creature vocals, vehicles are sort of a close second because... On the one hand, you want to try and be authentic and realistic, especially if it's a live-action movie. You don't want to have, you know, say, a Volkswagen for, you know, for a Corvette. You, know, you want to try and keep the, uh, the sounds as authentic as possible, but you also want to make it exciting and fun. So one approach that I like to take is I like to imagine that each vehicle has a character to it. Is it a good guy or is it a bad guy? If my hero is failing and not doing well and falling apart, you know, you can use little subtle things to make the car sound a little bit less uh, powerful in that moment. And then as it starts to take the upper hand, then beef it up with some additional sweeteners and bigger skids. And you always want to try and support what the filmmaker is saying in that moment. Some movies let you get away with being a little bit less realistic if it's more about getting the emotional energy of the picture rather than the, um, than the technical perfect sound, you know. You know, I'm so glad that you mentioned creature vocalizations because at least with a car, you have kind of a baseline. Everyone knows what a car sounds like. But for example, when you worked on Jurassic World, nobody had ever heard a dinosaur before. The same is true of all those Star Wars characters. You've basically been designing the sound that a fictional character makes. So how do you think through this? I mean, it's really creative work. Yeah, so I mean, in those two particular cases, my absolute mentors and teachers, uh, Gary Rydstrom and Ben Burt. Ben Burt was the, uh, he's, in my opinion, one of the godfathers of sound design. He created all the sounds for Star Wars. Those worlds of sounds are sort of established already because, uh, because of you know, my forebears, people who came before me. But yeah, I mean, there, there had been other kinds of monsters throughout the history of film and, uh, and ultimately use your imagination. I mean, I think that most of those creatures come from various animal recordings that have been manipulated, uh, sometimes using human voice, sometimes using different animal sounds. But now, I mean, it's gotten to the point where Jurassic Park has become such a, a part of a, most of our lives that that is the sound of the T-Rex. It's undeniably the sound of the T-Rex. So, I mean, anybody tries to recreate that, then they're, they've, got, they've got a big challenge ahead of them. And who knows what they sounded like. So yeah, it's pretty amazing. So when you're sitting down at Skywalker Sound and you want to think about the sound a fictional character makes, how do you even think through that? Where do you begin with that process? Yeah, well, it really starts with the filmmaker. We do what are called spotting sessions before we get to work. So we talk a lot about what types of sounds. And it's difficult to just talk about sound because, I mean, how do you, aside from making, you know, sounds with your mouth and that sort of thing, it's hard to sort of describe. But often we get a lot of good uh, feedback and information from the filmmaker. 
And then it's just a lot of experimentation and trying to get ideas for what type types of sounds different kind of creatures make. And, and if I'm out in the world and anything catches my ear, anything that sounds unique or interesting to me, I always try and record it. I usually keep a, a portable recorder with me, and, and I've built up a pretty large library over the years of sounds. And then it's just a lot of trial and error, and we will uh, create sounds, and then we'll put it in front of the filmmaker and hear what they uh, have to say. And sometimes it's great, and sometimes it's not at all what they had in mind, and you try again, and you keep working on it until, uh, until it starts to, uh, to formulate. You worked with John Favreau on season one of The Mandalorian. Congratulations. We love that show. My son just went out the door to school with his Grogu backpack on. Um, how do you go about working with a director like John who has such a detailed vision of what he wants to create? Yeah, see, I worked with him on, on, on Lion King as well. But yeah, I, I'd say it's just a matter of listening, uh, of patience. And uh, on The Mandalorian, I, I was in a supportive role. Uh, Bonnie Wilde, the, uh, the mixer, and, uh, and Dave Acord, the sound designer. Um, they, they have, uh, especially Dave, has a long-standing relationship in the Star Wars world. And uh, I was able to admire the way that Bonnie was uh, able to, uh, to meet all of the challenges because he is a challenging director. He, he very much knows what he wants and uh, is extremely talented. And he's very articulate about expressing what it is that he wants. I feel like we sort of do a shape-shifting thing where we have to uh, sort of get into the mind of the filmmaker and try and pretend like as if we're part of the filmmaker as far as uh, realizing their vision. All right. I want to dish a little on Woody and Buzz because we did our homework here. I see that you worked on Toy Story 3, another fabulous film. How did you use audio to help make all those animated characters seem so real? I mean, that really got into my emotions, that, that movie. Those are beautiful films. I mean, I, I'd give most of the credit, obviously, to the to the filmmakers at Pixar. They really make you feel so many emotions. On Toy Story three, I was the uh, the Foley supervisor, and uh, the the trick with Toy Story, there's a, a sound illusion that we do when we're in the toy's perspective. Woody and Buzz, they're essentially humans at that point. So Woody's cowboy boots, for example. We, we use real cowboy boots. That sounds like a cowboy. He has spurs. But as soon as a grown-up walks into the room, the magic has to disappear immediately. So all those sounds become toy sounds. So it's all about playing with scale and perspective. Wonderful. I, now I want to go back and rewatch the movie. And, and uh, now that I know a little more of the, the sound secrets behind it, I'm curious, Pascal, what do you think the future of audio in film and TV looks like and sounds like? You know, in our industry in particular, we had a you know, big shutdown last year where like a lot of industries, everything just stopped. It was suddenly forced where everything was streaming. A lot of these uh, large tentpole features, like I worked on Mulan, for example, and that was in the news over and over again because it kept getting their release date pushed back and pushed back. And eventually it was released on Disney+. Plus. I hope personally that there will always be a place for going to the movies. You know, it's a fun night out. You can really uh, enjoy the full cinematic experience when you're looking at a large screen with a with a beautiful soundtrack, with great speakers, and you're fully immersed in the uh, Atmos, uh, Dolby Atmos surround sound. And But we're going to continue to do lots of TV, so that's, that's definitely what's uh, on the pipeline for us. Are you thinking about designing sound differently for people streaming in homes versus streaming in movie theaters? I'd say yes and no. I mean, the universal aspect of sound design is 100% storytelling, no matter what format, whether it's on a, you know, an AM radio or in full Dolby Atmos in the theater. Uh, we're always thinking about that. And there are different specs that we have to mix to for television, broadcast television in particular. 
versus uh, in the cinema. Because you can do a lot with the low frequency effects in a theater, for example. You can you can really shake the room that you can't really do in a, an apartment building with a baby sleeping in the next room. You know, so you still need to have the uh, the impact of the sound, whatever emotional impact you're trying to get from that explosion or whatever it is. So I'll, I'll often turn the volume down and just make sure that it still reads, make sure that it still works in that context. So I, it's in the back of my mind. I'm thinking about different formats these days, probably more than I used to. Very exciting. Pascal Garneau, thank you for joining us on Powered by Audio. Loved having you and learned a lot today too. Thank you, Randy. My pleasure. Powered by Audio is proudly supported by EPOS. Clear sound in any environment is important for doing business. With innovative voice enhancement technologies, EPOS allows you to hear and be heard perfectly, making it a lot easier to perform at work. Whether it's talking to customers, working across time zones, or listening in when decisions need to be made, it's about communicating and collaborating with efficiency. Find out more at epasaudio.com. If you're not familiar with George Mpanga, otherwise known as George the Poet, please allow me to introduce you. George's spoken word performances were selling out in the UK when he decided to bring his talent for storytelling to podcasting. Cleverly titled, Have You Heard George's Podcast? He won the award for Podcast of the Year at the British Podcast Awards in 2019. Of course, the way to truly understand the phenomenon of George the Poet is to listen. Here's a short clip from Have You Heard George's Podcast? As of 2019, quite a few people from out of the grime scene have written their way into early retirement. But what no one has been able to do is clean up this quote-unquote dirty environment and I'm thinking that might be where I come in George the poet thanks for joining us on powered by audio here thrilled to have you thank you so much for having me it's great to be here so George not too many kids say that they want to be a poet when they grow up but uh how did you come into having that dream I was actually a rapper and um I transitioned from rap into spoken word poetry it just felt natural to me Was there a specific moment, like a light bulb moment that went off for you that you really realized the power of of poetry? I wouldn't say there was a light bulb moment, no. I just came to appreciate that rap had done so much to educate me and billions of people across the world about things that would never get any space in mainstream media. So when I shifted my understanding of that art form, that's when I was able to see the opportunity as a poet and translate it um, into uh, public affairs, current affairs. I heard that you actually at some point wanted to be a politician on your career journey. Right, right. Um, I did want to be a politician. It was very important to me to be able to speak to what I knew for the people that I understood about the things that I believed in. And Early in my life, I thought politics was going to be the way that I did it. I love that, you know, as a poet, you mostly, you've chosen to speak and perform your words that you write rather than just write them down and have other people read them. Uh, Why do you think that's so important? Yeah, I think it's very important to perform these words because I'm part of a generation that has taken in a lot of information through audio and unfortunately, I speak to people and I speak on behalf of people that don't have 
the relationship with the written word that I, I, I one day hope that they do have. So because a lot of these young people are not going to be finding my words in books, they need to be able to find them in the, in the media spaces they are comfortable with. You've told your stories in so many places and ways. What made you want to start a podcast? You know, Randy, when I started the podcast, I had so many things I wanted to talk about and I had so many creative ideas. I felt like I needed more space to talk about each idea that I was presenting. And I noticed that podcasting, you know, podcast audience expect long form content. Podcasting gives us the opportunity to have curated conversations so we can focus on the core of what we feel and we can capture that through these recordings and we can broadcast that across the world. It's an opportunity that is unprecedented. We've never had that before. We've never had that. We've had broadcast media, but this podcasting thing, because especially at this time in podcasting's life, it's so young and it is so ripe for experimentation. The kinds of conversations that we can have right now are just, you know, we can tailor them to whatever we want to talk about and handle them in um, whatever way we feel is appropriate. I love that about podcasting. We just spoke with someone who sound designs movies and the way you design the audio in your podcast feels really similar to that. What do you think is the difference between if you were telling a story in a film versus a podcast? How do you have to think differently about crafting the story and the sound? Well, I guess in a movie, a lot of the work can be done with what you see. And I guess you have to accommodate for that in the, vis- in the audio medium. You've got to remember, they can't see you. So what can be implied? What can be achieved? by the way that you design the soundscape, um, that just enhances the story without you having to describe everything or convey everything through dialogue or narrative or descriptive. Do you ever wish that people could see what's going on in your mind or or paint a picture? Do you like that it's kind of a blank slate? Well, um, I've just been obsessing over that for three years now, like, What exactly do I want to do? How should it be visualized? I'm having so much fun with that. But I also think there's so much magic in just the audio. When you only offer an audio um, experience, you invite the listener to construct the, um, you know, the aesthetic in their mind, how they see fit. It's not that dissimilar to having your favorite novel, your favorite book, and watching that get transferred to the screen and think feeling like you might have done some things differently. Absolutely. I love being able to, to paint a picture in my mind and the intimacy of audio. I'm curious how you feel you've grown as a podcaster from your first episode to where you are now. That's a good question, you know, Randy. I know for me, sometimes when I look back on early episodes that I've done of my radio show, I think, oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed. I'm always interested to hear about the journey. Yeah, I get that too, because my podcast is so personal. So there are things that I revealed about myself and about my mentality, about my outlook that I'm a little bit removed from now. I think in the early days, I was slightly less flexible in 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 what I thought was the truth. So I might have made a throwaway comment, for example, about Brexit which implied that 
Brexit was one thing, like Brexit was a mistake or something. There's a line in episode seven where I say, every other day, over here we've been dealing with Brexit and every other day another leaver regrets it. And yeah, it's a clever little line, but it's also reductive. It's also unfair to people who believe in Brexit. And because I'm not around people who would call themselves themselves Brexiteers, it's easy for me to make a throwaway comment like that. But at the same time, you know, when I reflect on the direction of society, British society, American society, I feel like healing is needed in much of our political conversation. And that starts with respecting where we're coming from on controversial topics. But these are really small nuances. For the most part, I stand by most of what I've said in the in the podcast. And even the stuff that I've moved on from, I, I still stand by it. I just, I, I'm growing through this process. And I really respect what you're doing because I actually think the arts is really one of the biggest ways to bring people together in difficult conversations. So I think you're doing a beautiful thing. George, I'm curious if you had to choose, you know, kind of one idea or takeaway from your podcast that listeners would remember, what would that be? Hmm. You know, Randy, when I started this podcast, I was looking for external stories to engage my audience. I wanted to talk about current affairs, case studies from around the world. And this put a lot of pressure on me, which made me procrastinate forever before I recorded an episode. But then I started looking internally for the story. And I found that my own story was, a, was an endless spring of material, of learnings, of information. So I hope that the podcast inspires my listeners to see themselves as infinite. If I can give you these chapters that go all over the world and do things that, you know, I would have to team up with a really big budget studio to accomplish in visual form, but it can all happen and it was all achieved by my imagination with some rough recordings of quote-unquote interviews from the people in my life. And it was all stitched together by one friend, one producer, Ben Brick. If you can get all of that from my podcast, then imagine what is inside of you. George, thank you so much. This has been such a great discussion about the power of spoken word and podcasts. The title of our podcast is Powered by Audio. So I'm just curious, what in your opinion is the power of audio to you? Hmm. Audio is the world that happens when you close your eyes, isn't it? There are no parameters to that world. You know, it's, it's like with an audio experience, you're just picking up so much more information and so much more uh, vibrations. You know, audio is all vibration-based. So those vibrations enter you and do things inside you that it's just not... It's, it's the closest thing we have to magic. Absolutely. Beautifully said. George the Poet, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much. Thanks again to this episode's experts on sound, sound effects guru, Rick Allen, sound designer, Pascal Garneau, and the one and only George the Poet. On the next Powered by Audio, video games are ubiquitous in our lives and investment in enhancing the game playing experience will continue. Games are now visually stunning and so is the audio of gaming. 
We'll learn about the growing role that sound plays in video games and the competitive advantage that better sound can provide gamers. Speaking of audio, if you like what you heard, give us a review and be sure to subscribe to receive the next episode. I'm Randy Zuckerberg. Thank you for listening.